Podcast with Lauren Bergert. I am your host, Lauren, and welcome to episode two, y'all. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for all the love following our launch in episode one. I am just so excited to see this community grow and continue to just create space for you all to share your truth and your stories. So thank you so much, and I cannot wait to get into today's episode. Our guest is Aaliyah White. Uh, she is currently navigating life between post-undergrad and her journey to getting her PhD. Um, she fills her time with youth organizations, um, with her friends, her family, and also exploring the city of Chicago. Her passions include all the unique personal stories in the world, and if you get her talking about trauma, you might have to cut her off, and you'll see in today's episode, she is passionate about psychology and trauma, y'all. She is such a happy soul that feels a lot of emotions, and she hopes to one day leave an impact in the way that promotes more emotional healing in our community. Aaliyah is such a dear friend of mine, and I love her to pieces, so without further ado, let's get into it, y'all. All right. Hello, Aaliyah. Thank you so much Hello. for being here today. How are you? For having me. Oh, I am doing so good. How are you doing today? I am great. Um, why don't we just start off with you just telling us who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Perfect. So my name is Aaliyah White. I am originally from Omaha, Nebraska, which is always like, people never guess that. So <laughs> I'm always happy about that too. Right. Nothing's wrong with Omaha, but you know. Um, yeah, so I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I was born and raised there. Um, at 18, I moved to Chicago area mm -hmm. um, for school. I kind of have always known that I was just meant to be in a bigger city. Mm -hmm. It was not meant for the Nebraska lifestyle. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it was just not meant for me and I knew I had to get out of it. I love my family. I love back home and I love visiting home, but um, I took a leap. I came to Chicago. I did not know anybody. I had never been here. I like totally committed to my school before I even saw it. Yeah, um, you didn't even like go to Dominican before no. you said yes. Wow. I, I just, I just was like, yep, this is how it's going to work out. And the universe just aligned the stars up for me because it, I like could not have asked for a better outcome, but it was a little scary going into it, but I ended up at Dominican University and I spent the last four years there and I just graduated in May, so that's exciting. Yes. <laughs> um, graduated with my bachelor's in psychology. I'm thinking about that for a minute. I'm <laughs> like currently in a gap year process as I apply and learn and expand myself for doctorate school in psychology. Nice. Did you always know that psychology was like for you, like you wanted to do that? Or like, how did you come to like realize that? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think I did before I knew the word for it. So like, mm -hmm. I have just always been like that friend. I mean, it's going to sound so cliche, but the friend that was like the mom or the one yeah. that like listened to the problems going on, or if there was some conflict, I was usually the like mediator. And mm -hmm. that was just like how I have lived my entire life. Um, I'm an older sister, so I'm sure that has something to play into that as well. Right. But um, so I've kind of always done a lot of the characteristics that I feel make me 
much more in tuned with this field. Right. Um, but like initially I was like, oh, I'll be a teacher. And then I was thinking like a orthopedic um, therapist, like mm -hmm. all over the place. And then I specifically remember like it was my, I think it was my sophomore year of high school, maybe. Mm -hmm. And somebody just asked me like what my passion was, my passion in life. And I had to like pause for a moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, this <laughs> is next level. Um, right. And I kind of freaked out. Like, I really remember like texting people and being like, what is my passion? Like, right. what do you, what would you guys say for me? Which is terrible. Yeah. But ultimately I decided on like helping people is like my passion in life. Like I, so much of my happiness and so much of who I am is stemmed from being there for others. Mm -hmm. And that that was just something that I could not see my life without. And so it kind of turned into this concept of like psychology and trauma I was super interested in PTSD for a while especially with um a lot of our um soldiers and the military and like that there had to be a way that we could send all these people into horrific situations and protect their mind just like we protect their body and yeah. that that just had to be figured out so I was very stuck on that for a while mm -hmm. um and kind of as I went through college, like I, I knew psychology from the get-go was like just my area. Yeah. And as I took more and more classes, it like eventually got narrowed down to like trauma, a little bit less of PTSD um, and more complex trauma and post-traumatic growth, but mm. a lot still in trauma. That was like where I found that um, spark that like lights a flame within me. So yeah, definitely. And when you say like complex trauma, do you, do you have like a specific like area that you want to work in with that? Like kids, mm -hmm. adolescents, um, a specific like racial group. Um, yeah. yeah, tell me more about that. Yeah. So I think it's always ever changing because I find it, I find complex trauma to be very interesting because of how differently it impacts everybody yeah. and what how I see it is that it is something that almost everybody in this world is going to face at some point right. and we all operate like our whole society operates like it is non-existent which is right. just like I feel like it's our secret like it is the universe's secret which is like a silly secret to have yeah um Recently, and where I think I will end up, I see a lot of it with adolescents, particularly mm -hmm. around the middle school to high school stage. I think mm -hmm. that kind of becomes a point in life where you start transitioning out of the need for care from your family and your parents, and right. you're more independent, and you are realizing more of maybe the reality of your life, or you're realizing more of the power that you have over your own life and your own self, and who you are going to end up being, and I think those are very pivotal years for your future, like are right. you going to go to school, what are you going to do, how are you going to use your adult years for you, essentially, and I think that it starts in middle school and high school and I truly believe that if we can like catch a lot of the trauma like if we can help people just even realize that hey by the way you've maybe experienced some right. adversity right having that awareness rather than being like well this is just like life can mm -hmm. offer so much change and it can give the person somebody some way to like say hey let me look into this more like 
how can I, what can I do with this now um, to change that rather than them being 30, 40, 50 year olds being like, oh, I've acted like this my entire life. And it's actually not just toxic. It's my own bodily, like how I function. And this is from stuff that happened when I was eight. Like there are so many ways that I think we can be preventative and that we're not. And I think we need to be. No, definitely. And I, like you said, like, it's our biggest secret in society. We never want to talk about issues. It reminds me of like a lot of like my black side of the family will be like, oh, we don't talk about problems at home. Like you just keep that at home and you don't talk about it. And I think that's such like a toxic (laughs) way to look at life because we, we all do go through stuff. We all have things that may have happened to us when we were like three years old that we don't understand, like really impacts the way we think or operate um, because we don't dive into that trauma. But we also, and I wanted to talk about this with you too, is like the lack of accessibility to counseling services and stuff. I know you did like your internship with DePaul mm-hmm. um, and we're working with kids in, a, in the school system, right? Yeah, I was in Englewood. It's a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago that is very underfunded, um, underfunded and um, high crime rates. Um, one of the unsafe neighborhoods on the south side. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And how, kind of talk about that experience because you're working, because you were in like an elementary school, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was in an elementary school um, and that was K through eight. So I okay. was specifically working with sixth through eighth graders, but I saw how the elementary school functioned and I, I won't lie. I was very, I was very shocked. Like from the moment I walked into that school, I just, it was very different. And I immediately recognized my privilege. Like I grew up, like I said, I was in Nebraska. So diversity was very, very different than it is in Chicago in the first place. But like I was in a predominantly white school in a predominantly white neighborhood and my school, like, I mean, they were giving technology to like elementary schoolers and like saying here, like, just have this. And that's just like, not the reality, but I grew up being like, well, this is what schools look like school. Like these schools are nice. They're updated. You have access to food, like all of these things. And I walk into the school and I'm just like, I truly did not have the words for like this whole other side that I was so unaware of, which was almost just as infuriating was that there was so many kids going to a school that you could tell needed a lot of love and you could tell was not like our school. They could not, the kids could not drink out of the water fountain because the water was not clean enough. Like it's, it's a water fountain. Like that should be something that they should have endless access to water and clean water at that. And so like little things like that really shocked me and I mean the stereotypes of the neighborhoods around it and it not being super safe is it played out like that was true I thankfully have never felt unsafe there but Mm -hmm. I'm also very aware of my surroundings and I'm also not an eight-year-old walking home at six o'clock at night when I can't be at school any longer right so I was just very aware of the different lifestyles and like Yes, it may not be the safest neighborhood, but also looking across the school and seeing a rundown house with a whole bunch of men sitting out in the front can be really intimidating when you walk out as a female or when you walk out as a young child. So I was just 
very aware of that. And as I got to know the kids as well, um, I could see a lot of the different things that come up in textbooks, which is like terrible. Like, I mean, you don't, I don't want to apply a textbook to life, I guess, but there was a lot of things like ways the kids behaved and the way that they portrayed a lot of their own traumas and how, how many of them like would disclose that, oh, they didn't have food at home and the chips that I brought them was going to be their snack until they got back to school. Like, right. And you would never know that because they're, they're kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was very shocking. And then, or not even shocking, just like, eye-opening yeah yeah disheartening exactly and what really like really got me because like you know building it doesn't need to be perfect right not at all right but it's the people inside of it and that's really important and there were some teachers that were just like excellent you could tell that they loved those kids and that they it did not matter what those kids went through it did not matter what they had or what they didn't have it did not matter the color of their skin this was a predominantly black school but it didn't matter right but then there were some teachers that were also just like that held just as much hurt in their own heart that had not been worked through and I could tell that they needed the support that they needed it because it was being taken out on the kids and that made me really mad made me really upset that these kids had to leave home not knowing their situation and come to school where they were going to be just as like feeling unsafe or unloved or uncared for by some of these teachers yeah and that was when I was like "Mm, if I could take over this and like (laughs) re-intervene I would but and all it made me think about was where was the support for those teachers like we were asking these teachers who live in the same neighborhood who have grown up around the same environments that these children have as well to like put on a face and be brave and not show any of that and that's not fair either Right. right so like where how do we make that relationship stronger and support the kids going through it now, but also support the adults who are still in it and who still don't have that sense of security and that sense of love and that they're looking for that as well. Like where, how do we enable that? So through that internship, it just opened my eyes to so many areas that needed additional love, like the community the school a lot of it just needed like uh, if I could just hug it (laughs) I would (laughs) yeah Um, but what was hopeful for me was that like we can change the community but it's harder we can change the outside world through the protests through the fights through coming together but that's going to be harder to do but within a school within these walls yeah there is an like a what's the word a like a vibe almost like yeah. we can set the tone we can set the precedent of this is how it's going to work in here this is how we're going to talk to people this is how we're going to treat one another and this yeah. is how we're going to support each other like teachers staff kids everybody yeah. and that can be changed that can be with time grown in a much faster way in my mind yeah um and so that made me hopeful because there was 
an ability to, or there is an ability to make at least one part and a big part of kids' life. Like you're in school for a long, I'm still in school. Right. You're in school for a long time. Right. And that can be like something that is happy, something that is not going to traumatize our kids, something that is not going to make them scared. And it's going to give them that one adult that we all know is so important to have in life. Like it's going to give them that group of friends that's going to carry them through a lot of the other hardships in life. And if we can get through school, then we can get through other things together. And so that invoked a lot of passion. Mm -hmm. And it gave me, because like you had mentioned, like the lack of resources to mental health services, the lack of access of cost of everything um, to get support is so hard. Yeah. But schools are everywhere. So if we can start in schools, we may not immediately reach the older population, but if we can reach the younger population, it's a start, it's a move, it's a, it's something. So that's kind of where I've seen like, okay, we can't change this one thing. We can change this. Right. Right. Control the controllable is how I view life. And if that is something that can be controlled, if that is something that can be adjusted, and if schools can be found on every corner of the best neighborhoods and the worst, mm-hmm. then we can reach that a lot faster than we can get a mental health facility, apparently, out right. <laughs> in areas that need it the most. Yeah, definitely. There's so many things. Like, thank you for sharing that. Like, I think <laughs> your story is just like a testimony to like so many, because like, I feel like you said, like, you were able to see your privilege there, like coming from Nebraska, coming from majority white populations and areas, like you weren't, you didn't see that stuff. You didn't see the underfunded schools. You didn't see the majority black neighborhoods that, um, you know, were how everyone wants to say ridden with crime and so unsafe, but it really is just years and years of trauma there that no one has addressed. And it's just a vicious cycle that has not stopped because no one is there to put in the love and attention that it needs. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just a cycle. That's really the only, the only way that I can like describe that. And it sucks because it's always, not always, but mostly in the neighborhoods where it's majority black and brown. And it just continues that just oppression and discrimination of marginalized groups. And it sucks. And um, I don't know, it just gives me a little hope though, that we have people like you that are going into these spaces and like trying that's what we need is just for people to try like it seems like so often people just give up in these spaces and like you said like it's usually people that are coming back like that have been in the neighborhood that have been through stuff themselves and then they were they feel like they have to come back and give which is incredible but how can you pour from an empty cup if you haven't sat down and gone through your own issues and worked through your own trauma, how can you even begin to start helping kids that are going through the same thing? And I think like our world, like I know you said that you wanted to work with like vets at first, like people that have been in the war and suffer from PTSD. But I think sometimes like our society, like doesn't think that PTSD can be like not having access to food, like growing up in a really poor neighborhood, not Mm -hmm. knowing where your next meal was going to come from like that 
is PTSD, that is trauma. And I don't think our society does a good enough job of educating people on like really what like racial trauma and I don't know, trauma that comes from like being low income. Like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think that it is not talked about at all. Yeah. Um, And when it is talked about, I think people feel like, I feel like when people try to share their stories, Mm -hmm. they try to like add the twists of like, well, I've done this for me. Like, this is how I have like overcome it. And that's Mm -hmm. great. Like, that's what we want to hear. Right. But that's not the reality. Like people say, oh, I've had all this trauma, but look where I'm at now. I am thriving. Right. And it's so hard for people with their own trauma who are not in that spot to be like, okay, but me too. And why am I not there? Why do I not have that? And we don't talk about it at all. We don't educate our kids Mm -hmm. at all that like sometimes grownups, other people we love do not do kind things to us. Yeah. Like we are taught that they do. And sometimes it is okay to not want to be friends with that grown up anymore. <laughs> like, right, right, right. We don't, and we say that family is everything. It doesn't matter. But when family really hurts you, like, what do you do then? Yeah. Like, what do you do when you are trying to like get better? You're trying to heal. Yeah. And break that cycle. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't talk about that. And we don't talk about the fact that there is trauma that people have it, whether you, seem like you've got it all or in the richest neighborhood have the best parents like or not like there is no talk about that and there's no talk about what it's like when you don't know when your next meal is gonna be from and you don't know how to go to the grocery store we talk a lot about in our internship that like these kids don't know what they don't know. We introduce healthy foods to them because they don't have access to healthy yep. foods yep. At, in a way that other people might. Like if they want to go and get a healthy like produce, not it's going to be a far drive mm-hmm. or a far commute to get it. It's going to be expensive. And yep. when you have $20 to feed your family of five, you're not going to go buy four apples. Right. Like three avocados it is right now like you're gonna go buy the ramen you're gonna go buy the rice you're gonna go buy the foods that are gonna be cheap but give you a lot so that you can feed your family for a lot longer on that twenty dollars than you're gonna do if you give them fruit Mm -hmm. and I think that people don't recognize that that is stressful And then what happens then? You don't have money. So you're going to go steal something because your child's not going to go to bed hungry, but Oh, that's just a crime. Like it's such a cycle. And it's, if we don't give supports, if we don't make it easier, how can the, anything change? Like nothing can change. Um, It seems like such an easy fix, right? Like you say all these things out loud. And like, if for one day, like our Supreme court just sat in a classroom in Inglewood and saw like yo, like these kids can't go buy fruit because the nearest grocery store is 20 miles down the road because there's no grocery stores in poorer neighborhoods. Um, and they don't know when they're going to eat. So you're going to have to go that long by themselves on a bus. Right. Like just like if they just saw how things operated, like 
I just feel like until it impacts our government and our society directly, no one wants to talk about it and it mm-hmm. never wants to be a conversation and just right. makes me so angry. Um, but yeah. I don't know, we have to have those people like you and like me that are going to school and that are putting in the work, you know, to want to bring this change. But it's like, at some point it does get so frustrating, right? Cause it's like, you're just, you're seeing this every day. You're, you were at your internship multiple days a week. Like you were going in, you were seeing this and it's like, you just want to like shake somebody and be like, listen, like, this is what's happening it's right in front of our faces and no one's doing anything. Like some days it just feels like even like a small conversation you have with a student, like to you, that could be like, I wish I could do more, but like, even to them, that might be something so huge that they needed that day. Right. That put a smile on their face or that made them have a little bit of hope. And like, I know sometimes it's hard to like, see that. And it's hard for me sometimes too. I'm like, Oh, I feel like we're just going and going and going and no one's really, doing anything nothing's really changing but it's like we have to remind ourselves that like the kids that you are working with like they see you and like that's the that's the positive influence and role model that they need um and so yeah it's hard to look at things from like a big picture sometimes because it's like you just want to fix everything and this could just be such an easy solution but our world (laughs) is just a disaster (laughs) well I just wish that Like, if I could do anything in my lifetime, if I can, like, teach kids about trauma and, like, make this, like, an example I use, I don't know who I was talking to, but I was just saying, like, at this point, depression and anxiety are pretty well discussed. At least it feels like from my perspective, like, it is still very much a real thing and it's things that people deal with on the daily, but people are more open to talk about it. People are more willing to say, hey, I'm not coming into work today because I physically can't get out of bed. And people respect that more. And we know that there are things that you can do to help that. Mm -hmm. And there are things that you can do to help heal with trauma too. Like there's so many things like in your brain and ways that you can work with your body rather than against it. And I wish that we operated more from that standpoint because I feel like we treat people as if nothing bad has ever happened to them. There is, they are the perfect human and that they can do like no wrong. But as soon as somebody starts screaming, as soon as a kid starts throwing a fit, we discipline them and we tell them to stop and we kick them out of school and we say, Hey, go stay at home for a few days. Don't come here. Right not even under knowing if school maybe is their safe place, not knowing if maybe this is where they get their meals or not knowing why they had that fit in the first place. For all we knew, it could be a flashback. It could be a trigger. It could be anything. And if that's just a dress, like if we talk about it and we're saying, what's going on? Like, why did somebody throwing a spoon across the room cause a tantrum? Right. Like, what can we do? Something so simple could Mm -hmm. be life-changing for this kid but it's not treated like that. And we don't treat adults like that either. And when trauma changes so much of our brain, even Mm -hmm. at such a young age, like even if you cannot remember what happened, that doesn't mean it didn't impact you. And that doesn't mean that like things can't occur because of that. And it's just manifested in different ways. And Mm -hmm. we have just learned to adapt to that as humans. We have learned that this is who we are. Mm -hmm. This is how I am. And that's that. And as a society, I don't think we've given people enough grace to be people, to make mistakes, to Mm -hmm. 
cause or to feel what they need to feel, even if there's no explanation, like all feelings in our world need to be explained. You can only be sad if something bad happened or something sad happened. You can only be happy if something happy happened and you could be living a great life and you can still be very sad that day and you can still get very upset and that's okay. That's who we are. And I think that's so much of the secret. That's what we don't talk about. And that's what we keep hidden. But Mm -hmm. why? Like if we all have it, we could be so much better. Right. And like you you said, like we're starting to make way with the talks of depression and anxiety. And we talk about this a lot in my program. Um, I think social media and especially TikTok has kind of pushed the conversation of talking about mental illness, which is great, but it also, um, I don't know when, when it's talks on social media, it can be kind of hard because everyone thinks they know everything just because they saw a TikTok video. So it's like, even though somebody may put on TikTok, like, oh, I, if you tap your finger 20 times a day, that means you have ADHD. Like, eh, you know, like maybe we need to be more mindful of like the things that are being shared, but also like, there has to be a way to like, talk about trauma without I don't know if people are scared. I don't know if people are fearful. I mean, I feel like that probably is like the case, like, especially like with depression, anxiety, like no one wanted to talk about that 10 years ago. Like that was like a forbidden word to ever use. Like no one ever wanted to talk about anything mental health related. So I think we're making a move in the right direction, but I do think, I don't know if it's the word trauma that just scares people. Like if it, it's, I think that, no, I guess how I, what I always think is that by sharing that you have trauma, by sharing your trauma, by talking about the ways, even if it's not the trauma itself, but how it maybe impacted you, yeah, it is shining a light on the ugly side of the people that we love mm-hmm. or the people that have been in our lives. And just because there may have been hard times, that doesn't always mean that we don't love them and that we right. don't still have them in our lives. And yes, they may be have caused a lot of pain and you've had to do a lot of healing from it, but there's still somebody you deeply care for. So it's hard to like say, Hey, look at this terrible thing that happened. Right. But don't look at my, that person as terrible. And I think that we struggle as a society to differentiate like actions from people. As soon as somebody does something bad, the person's automatically bad. Yeah. It's not just the action, it's the person now. And that doesn't always want to happen. And you don't always want to call that person bad, but that doesn't take away from you healing and that doesn't take away from who you are. And so I think it's finding the line between how do we share and talk about trauma openly without throwing the people we love or pass people under the bus if it's not necessary, but still like growth and I think a lot of that can come with like talking about how we are going about it like this is how I feel so instead I'm good I'm gonna do this action instead I'm gonna do this like you be my accountability buddy like if I act like this like let's talk about it like let's have let's talk more about the present rather than the past but let's talk real about it too like yep let's not always just say oh I'm good like we can be honest yeah and I think 
Right. And I think social media also plays a role in that too, of people just wanting to be like this perfect person. And I talk about this a lot on my pages of just like building this perfect persona that life is grand and life is beautiful. Like you even said, like, no matter what kind of like life you live, if you're the most richest person on this earth like you still have trauma you still have things that you've been through no one that's walking this planet has a perfect life and no matter how hard people try to make it seem like they do like we're all going through something and I yeah I definitely think just like I don't know our entertainment industry all of it has just made us all feel like we can't be our authentic selves for some reason and it's frustrating but I also get it but I also just wish that we could all just I think I don't know and I feel like that's something that I mean I completely agree I think that social media has made it very easy to warp our lives into something that we want it to be and something that we want other people to think it is like we want people to think that we have the most perfect relationship where everything is romantic and cute and we are always happy and that is just not always reality most of the time and it's not reality we want everyone to think that our lives are glamorous Mm -hmm. and once again like how do you look at 10 o'clock at night like (laughs) let's let's talk about that we all know where that is at but I think uh, while we can't control the the social media we can't control Mm -hmm. social media but I think it kind of starts in a lot of the teaching starts with like our own people like right it's like having those raw conversations and be the being the one to be a little bit more vulnerable like one-on-one and to like expand a little bit more and to reach out to the people that seem to have these glamorous lives and say like talk to me like what is your life really like like how can we like I want you to have glamorous life don't get me wrong but like I also don't want you to hide the pains and everything because then you just circle right back around to where you started so right I think that taking it upon ourselves to have a lot of those real conversations and like to continue to connect with each other mm-hmm. in person and over the phone. And if we see something on social media to question it or to room, like kind of reality check it and like have conversations with them and say like, why, like, what are you post? Like, what are you, po- what did your post, what did you want other people to gain from it? I guess right. like, And if that's what it is, that's fine. But like, who do you have in your life that you can talk to, that you can hold on to? And I think if we have those people and we live in a world where we just know social media is going to be social media, it's going to have its ups and its downs. It's going to be really good for us and really bad at us for us all at the same time. Yeah. We can hold on to our people. I think that's how we compensate. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Like I always check in with your people. I I have to like always remind myself that because I'm the worst at checking in with my people. Um, I think that just goes for everybody. Like we try our best. Um, but I think I know for me, like I'll, I've let social media be such the driving factor of me checking in with friends. Like, Oh, I saw my friend posted the other day. Like she's doing great. Like no, Lauren, you've posted pictures when you're sitting there crying in your bed. Like, you know, that's just a post. Like, so I, I myself am trying to even be more like aware of like, okay, have you talked to this person in a while? Like just a simple text. Yeah. It has to be a constant reminder because it can be so easy to like look and think and to do that. And it's, 
way too easy like oh my gosh I catch myself especially like with TikTok and everything I catch myself all the time being like wait but why is my relationship not like that like why does it not feel like these three photos the person posted and I have to like tell myself like Aaliyah like this is what people want you to see they want you to see this because obviously like I don't I'm not gonna post a picture of me like right like (laughs) right no but it is like it is hard and if it's like not a good mental health day it makes it even harder and sometimes you come across those reminders that like not everything is like what it seems to be but yeah I think it's definitely like a battle unfortunately Mm -hmm. that we are all gonna have to continue to fight into our lives and our kids and like yeah making social media yes it's a great place to learn it's a great place to connect and it is a great place to make change because it is Mm -hmm. but it's also a great place to or a hard place to be when all you see is either really good or really bad like sometimes I feel like social media is just all negative and it's all things that are real Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to see yeah like oh yeah social media is so zero to a hundred like there's no good like middle ground for anything (laughs) it's just so far to the left or the right and so yes but it definitely does play a very big role in just mental health and how everyone is just operating and yeah just oh lord we can go on about a conversation of social media for hours oh my gosh um well I have one more like kind of big question for you So you've talked about your like passion of psychology and trauma and just being in the school systems and all of that stuff. But where do you ultimately see your career going? Like now, I mean, I know I'm the same way because I will sit and be like, oh, I want to do this. And then like two weeks later, I'm like, actually, no, I think I want to completely change my life and do this. Um, But if today someone were to ask you, like, where do you see like your career and your life goals being like, where where would Aaliyah White be maybe in like 10 years after she has her PhD and is just rocking the world? Yes, Dr. White. Um, <laughs> you know, I, that's challenging. Yeah. Because there's so many things that I would love to do. Um, I honestly, I see myself in a school. Mm-hmm. I see myself implementing new procedures, new ideas, new culture within schools. And um, whether that is me as a teacher, because, you know, there are some days where I feel like I need to go get my teacher's license because (laughs) I feel like, how can I work in a school and tell these teachers to do something if I haven't been a teacher myself? Um, So how I get there, I'm not sure. That could be in a principal status or somebody that comes in and just helps the school. But I really feel like I have had such a connection with schools and um, I always joke that I will always be in school, but I truly think I will always be in a school somehow. Um, I just see so much potential for what schools can do for us outside of like learning and, you know, all that. Um, But I really think that when done well and when done right, it can serve as a very healing place for a lot of kids and a place to grow and learn about yourself outside of what your community, what your home, what your culture is telling you, you should be, what you should look like, who, how you should feel. And I think that 
that is an ideal place to start. So I would love to be in a school and implementing that. I would love to be working with adolescents and continuing to learn their stories. Because as I said before, you cannot apply a textbook to life. Like I can read (laughs) all the books, I can read all the stories, and I'm still not going to have all the answers. So I think continuing to learn everybody else's story, like to talk to the people that I interact with and genuinely want to know who they are and why they are who they are. Um, and like what Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey said, it's not like like what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. Like, yeah. tell me your story. I would love to hear that because those are the stories that are going to change our world. Those are going to teach us the right from the wrong. Those are gonna help us learn. And if our kids right now can grow up and learn about trauma, learn about what maybe shouldn't happen or what should happen, or learn about just things that they can do, little tiny things, way to be advocates, like how you can be somebody to make a change at a young age, because it can happen. And we're going to listen to kids a lot faster if we uh, really want to, hopefully. But truly, like, I think that there's so many little things that we can teach that will be life-changing that hopefully when they are adults and they have their own kids, there's a different cycle that's happening. It's not the cycle of, well, I didn't have enough to eat. So you're going to have a little bit more than me, but I had to do this and you don't have to do this, but your life. So your life is better than mine, Mm -hmm. even if it's still not where it should be. And so learning that like, okay, this is what happened to me, but here's what we're going to do differently. Here's what I'm going to learn from that so that we can continue to build a healthier generation. Yeah. Despite um, all the things our government wants us to not do. Um, But I truly think that if we can educate a bit more Mm -hmm. and learn, then we will be headed in the right direction. It's not going to change. It's not going to remove trauma. I can't say my life goal is that nobody ever has a traumatic experience because that's just not reality but I can say that my life goal is to provide people with the tools and the knowledge to heal and to heal with each other and to give grace like I truly think that if we just took a step back and we just get gave everybody a little bit of room to breathe Mm -hmm. We would be such a different functioning society that some of these fights would not feel so hard to fight. There would be more of us to more energy, more oomph to give to these fights that are so needed. So I think ultimately my career, I think I'll be in a school. My goals, I think is to educate our youth on trauma Mm -hmm. and to do it in a way that can be adaptive and be something that is not just a big word of advocacy and how are you a advocate for your community and yourself but like how do you take care of yourself like we need to learn about that in school we need to learn about what you're going to do when it is 2 a.m and you have a paper due and you haven't gotten any sleep but you have to be up at six and you need to somehow function and life at home is not going well like what do you do things that we're all going to deal with but have to often learn the hard way and come out the other end and be like oh <laughs> I had just done this right right in a different spot so 
those are my goals, at least for today. <laughs> yeah, at, at least for today. Maybe we'll have you back and ask you in like two years and see if those have changed. Oh, I love what you said though about just giving each other grace and allowing people room to breathe and to grow and to come to know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, just in their own terms and not allowing, I don't know, when, as soon as you said, just allowing grace, like I just think of how strict our cancel culture is and like one second, someone will make a mistake and it's like the end of their life and career mm-hmm. is over. Like just to start allowing people some more grace to just be able to come into who they are and feel comfortable. Um, but mm-hmm. that starts, I feel like in the classroom and it's going to start with so. you. <laughs> I really hope so. If not, we're going to have an interesting career, but <laughs> I I think I fully believe that there can be a lot of change. So if I am following my intuition and my self-belief, then we'll be okay. And I will, I can't do it all, but if I can create a foundation at one school, then I'm sure there is a whole group of people out there that also share many of the same passions as we do that would very happily tweak and perfect and go beyond and it can just yes spread and we can all heal yep we may not change the world but if we only change one person we've done our job so <laughs> that is a good reminder yeah I have to remind myself that all the time um well thank you so much for being here today and thank for just you. sharing creating your- the space Yes, I just want to be able to highlight you and I will always highlight you and all the incredible things that you are doing. Um, And I'm just so excited for you and for your journey. Thank you. We'll be working together in the future sometime soon. I can't wait. I'm almost positive. (laughs) We will be like the advocacy Unstoppable, honestly. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just so, so happy that you are here. Oh, 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 oh,